This is an invitation to recognize the labor involved in making tonight happen, and by extension, the love that is invested in having and sharing this event tonight. I am so pleased and honored to get to introduce David C. and this extraordinary film, Badass. We're a festival premised on the value of multiculturalism. And both tonight's film and its filmmaker are really profound expressions of this ethos. I have many uh, filmmakers in the world I love and they inspire me. And we want to make a, a show, a play in Iraq. To make this in the film was a way to release this dream together. Welcome to You Masterclass, the award-winning podcast written and produced by students in the Film Studies program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I'm Rihanna Jackson and I'll be your host today. We have some very exciting guests to share in this episode on the Massachusetts Multicultural Film Festival. This year is its 30th anniversary, and we're celebrating films beginning March 22nd and continuing until May 11th. As per the program description, we're celebrating the theme of, quote, before, after, with an international selection of films addressing momentous, life-changing events, hearkening to the life that came before, and facing the tectonic shifts that occur afterward. This year's program acknowledges also the many cases in which the after has not yet arrived or is reversed. The festival will host six filmmakers present for post-screening discussions, and screenings are accompanied by critical introductions by scholars and filmmakers. Before we dive into the festival, we do want to acknowledge the land that UMass Amherst is founded and built on. The University of Massachusetts Amherst acknowledges that it was founded and built on the unceded homelands of the Pocumtuck Nation on the land of the Norodic community. We begin with gratitude for nearby waters and lands. We recognize these lands and waters as important relations with which we are all interconnected and depend to sustain life and well-being. The Pocumtuck had connections with these lands for millennia. Over 400 years of colonization, when Pocumtuck peoples were displaced, many joined their Algonquian relatives to the east, south, west, and north. That includes Mashpee, Aquina Wampanoag, Nipmuc, Narragansett, Mohegan, Pequot, Mohican communities in Abenaki, and other nations of the Wabanaki Confederacy. These native peoples still maintain connections and relationships of care for these lands today. We also acknowledge that the University of Massachusetts Amherst is a land-grant university. As part of the Morrill Land Grant Act, portions of land from 82 native nations west of the Mississippi were sold to provide the resources to found and build this university. As an active first step toward decolonization, we encourage you to learn more about the native nations whose homelands UMass Amherst now resides and the indigenous homelands on which you live and work. We also invite you to deepen your relationship with these living lands and waters. Thank you so much for meeting with me. Um, I'm very excited to be talking about the 30th anniversary 
of the festival, and I wanted to talk to you today about your responsibilities as the director. I mean, you've been curating for a long while, but this is 3-0. This is the 30th. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this is super exciting for us as well. The, the festival was founded 30 years ago by the founding curator, Catherine Portuguese, and Jacqueline Erla. And the idea of the festival is something that really was was new at the time. There was nothing quite like this university-based festival that brings films from all over the world and filmmakers all gathered around a particular theme each year. And each film introduced by a film scholar or, or area expert as a kind of grant-funded, free and open to the public vision really as a public good. And now in the 30th year, part of the theme of the festival is reflecting on this. We're at, we're at our 30th uh, year, which is kind of a transitional or transformative year, I might you might say, and it falls right at a very transformative moment in our country and in the world. What what do you think of before after? I think uh, you first told me about the theme. I thought it was interesting as a premise in the time that we are now. Actually, when I was uh, going through the notes when Jack and Emily had done this episode and covered um, the 29th anniversary, I couldn't help but notice that you were also discussing this transitory period for the festival itself and how it's programmed, how it's curated. And um, of course, 30 years for any, you know, adult is a transitory period. I mean, you might be going through a marriage or um, moving places, migrating to a different location, job, relocating. I mean, 30 itself for the human is a pivotal moment. And I think it's a really fascinating point to kind of pivot as the crux really of all the movies that you've selected and at the moment of this recording yesterday on Wednesday we were able to watch Ishtar Gutierrez film yes (laughs) but I'm very excited to be speaking with her and I'm just just a, a very grand opportunity to be able to speak to so many of the directors and writers and editors in person during the Q&A panels I mean to be frank, I'm 21 years old. I wasn't here at the inception of the festival. So I guess um, one of my biggest questions I wanted to ask is how has it always been centered around these Q&A panels and how is it finding these amazing people? Yeah, well, well first to answer the question about the theme of before after, you know, I was talking with Nefeli Korni Serpataki, who is the co-curator of the festival this season. Uh, and has been involved in the festival for a number of years now. And we were talking about how we were going to do it fully in person. We had done the first two seasons fully remote, and the season previous to that had just been cut short after two events because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So there was a kind of feeling of that and also the real renewed urgency around Black Lives Matter, thinking about Ukraine. There's so many things that were happening the attack on Roe v. Wade and reproductive rights in this country. We were talking about how things were before and so many things that happened and the fact that we're not quite after any of them. We had the Janes. I'm glad we could help them, but they shouldn't have had to go through it. That's how I feel. Emma Pildes and Tia Lassen, 
coming for the conversation. Very exciting event. And this is a movie about uh, reproductive rights. I mean, we made sort of a, a, a pledge to ourselves at a certain point that we didn't want to do any recreations and we didn't want to do any animation. It felt very important to us to keep the audience in the story and any chance of losing that felt dire. And we're telling a story about them, but we're telling a story about now, right? But, but we wanted to capture it within, you know, within the then. We partnered with the uh, Five College uh, Reproductive Health Rights and Justice. Uh, something that I should uh, say that's very important is that we partner with other organizations to help make this possible. Talking about working with all of these programs and um, outside organizations or people that you want to help uplift these stories, can we talk a little bit about the demographic and the audience who's coming to the festival? I think that's one of the most interesting things that I'm observing, especially when I was seated at the Janes. I've been sort of keeping in the back of my mind who's coming to these shows. And the Janes especially, I mean, you have the older demographic, a whole group of uh, older women thinking back to that before period. And then we have, of course, students from UMass Amherst. This is covered in um, the Eisenberg School of Management, so it's available open and free to the public. Can you talk a little bit more about how vital it was to make this free and open to the public on a college campus inviting the Pioneer Valley? Yeah, thank you. That's a really good question because we do get people from all walks of life. There are, of course, uh, faculty and students and staff at UMass, but also all of the five colleges. I know that there is a shuttle that comes from the Applewood retirement community. So you, you have people who come because they're looking for some cultural enrichment as well, and it's, and it's accessible to wheelchairs and such. And also just ordinary people that will come from all of the surrounding. Some of them come from pretty far away from the hill town. Yeah, really all walks of life. Demographically, I think, for example, the Janes was more well attended by women, right? And as you say, women of a, a certain age. My ideal would be that there isn't necessarily a demographic that shears closer to the theme. Like for the movie Till, my preference would be to have a very large audience that's very mixed. People from, from you know, who are white and people who can be allies and people who are all interested in racial justice. My, my priority would be that everybody find something of value and that uh, these impactful films can, you know, touch people from different walks of life. Right, right. I mean, we had the wonderful movie from a few weeks ago with our very own, like, UMass alum, Rosie Wallonis, who edited the film with David Sieve. And it was a wonderful movie centered on this mixed family, this blended family in uh, Michigan. And we were seeing from that perspective the Black Lives Matter movement and, of course, now more than ever, we have to be talking about this racial injustice. In the year 2023, of course, that movie was filmed in literally the cusp of so much change. And now we're going to be seeing Till soon and just reflecting on these two movies that prioritize Black Lives Matter and also the Asian experience through the um, that immigrant experience of both being seen as the outsiders in America. I guess it's really important to me as an Asian American young woman seeing films from that perspective and how we can be allies as well to the black community. 
I guess it's super fascinating to me. I just, I, I love how rich this program has been curated. I mean, uh, we have a festival that's focusing on Iraqi refugees, um, Chilean, Asian American, Cambodian genocide, um, just all walks of life, like you said. It's true, we, you know, for Bad Axe, we would have found that film. That, that film is such a hallmark of our time. It, it, it begins right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it shows the fa- this family whose father was a refugee uh, as a child from the killing fields in Cambodia, um, and married a Mexican-American woman and started to build a, this American dream, right? And, and it begins this way, and you, you think you know what you're in for. You think you know what this movie is. You've seen this movie before, perhaps. And it's not that. It's really an extraordinary story of this family and this community in rural Michigan with some very kind of conservative um, um, people, right? And the kind of backlash that they get from the, you know, the racist backlash in COVID-19 against anybody of, of uh, Asian uh, Pacific Island descent, right? Um, David C. famously in his family films all the time. And so they're all very comfortable. You know, they don't, nobody thinks it's going anywhere necessarily, <laughs> that they don't want it to go. And they, and they trust him also to, um, you know, to be resp- responsible. operating the camera, if it was you behind that camera that day, how you bring such honesty to it because you're filming your sister crying and I'm not going to, you know, that that's hard to do. That, that can be yeah. really um, opening um, and vulnerable. So I guess I wanted to know like how it felt uh, filming your family for so long, but then you're sitting down and you're doing this uh, documentary that in the time that you were filming was such an upheaval in the way of the world. So I want to know, I guess, how you went about that and staying truthful because it is verite documentary filmmaking in such a vulnerable um, scene. Sure, sure. Um, uh, uh, So I did did film that. the only time I didn't film anything was when I'm in front of the camera, in which case my, my wife was actually the one behind the camera in, in those instances. Um, but yes, I, I remember filming that day. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's a challenge filming these very emotional moments because um, part of you is, is playing this, you know, you have you have two hats on. You have this filmmaker hat, and then you also have the hat as a family member. And for me, those lines become very blurred sometimes because, like Rosie said, I'm a compulsive uh, a filmmaker in a sense where I'm always filming everything. So, like in a moment such as that, um, and, and and many moments throughout the film, my my family 
and I think this is the reason why the film feels as intimate as Rada does, they don't really ever notice the camera being there. Um, because at this point in my life, the camera has become an extension of who I am. So I think that's why that access into these moments um, are so vulnerable and they are so real and, and right in your face. Um, but, but yes, like there are times that you're filming these moments and you want to step into your role as a family member. You know, for, I'm, I'm like my mom and my family. I'm, I'm very much a, a, a peacemaker. Um, I, I try to be, uh, is it Switzerland? Is that the, oh. one of, yes. <laughs> that's often me, my mom and I, we, we play that similar role in our family. But when you're filming these moments, it's like, it's hard to step into that role because I'm recognizing that like this interaction is, it's important because it's fully painting who each of these individuals are um so i as i continue to film my family it is something that i try to be more conscious of and like okay should i just keep filming this or or should i uh interject and play into my role of who i am in this family um it's i, I think you ask any filmmaker who makes personal films about their family they I imagine there's a, a similar conflict. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but it's 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 uh, it's something that like I think you continue to navigate uh, as you're filming these these personal moments. So, yeah, I'd also add that um, the fights are kind of regular. <laughs> we fight but, regularly. Like in our I would family. call yeah. and there'd be fighting in the background. <laughs> I'd be like, is everything okay? Um, it's like, yes, there's a fight going on. I, I don't have my camera out. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to play my role of Switzerland right now. So, you know, like not everything is always filmed on camera, but yeah, I do remember that time you called and, were, and my dad and Jacqueline were yelling at each other and had to step outside and, and you're like, are they good? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it, a normal Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. It's, you're, you're all very comfortable with each other. And I we think are. that's part of it. Like, I don't think most families would let that be seen. Yeah, yeah. And again, I, I, I think that I have to credit my family's courage in, in letting that be, be seen, so. You know, it's such a, it's such a measure of, of this time. Right now, there are people who mistakenly ring the wrong doorbell and, and end up in the hospital right. or worse um, because there is this sort of paranoid movement fueled in my opinion, by right-wing media um, that is not telling the truth to people, but fomenting fear and, and hatred. Um, so that's one of the things that happens in this festival is that, you know, we're not really taking a stand necessarily um, or taking a polemical position. We're taking uh, films that we think, like Bad Axe, uh, is such a... It, it, one, it's a beautiful film, um, and two, it's very even-handed and fair. Um, there are scenes in that film. I don't want to give it away because I really want people to go. If you hadn't, if you hadn't seen it at the festival, to go and and find it and watch it.
finally, the heart of this film is, in the end, a story of love between the daughter and her father. My name is Ishtar Yasin Gutierrez. I have a multicultural origin, Arab and Latin America. I uh, grew up in Latin America, in Chile, in Costa Rica. Now I'm living in Mexico. I study uh, in the Institute of Cinema in Moscow. This is my third long future film. Uh, my Lost Country, I make before uh, one in Nicaragua and Costa Rica, the second long I made in Mexico, and now this film is around the world, and I want to continue to make films. I love teaching. I teach in many cinema schools around the world also, and I like to experiment the language uh, with uh, documentary fiction, uh, for me there is no, there are no limits when you want to, to express a feeling or idea, and I think uh, this is my purpose to continue to experiment with the language, and I feel uh, the viewer. The spectators, the public is more intelligent than what we think. And I, I, I think the viewer needs the possibility also to create uh, when uh, they are looking at film. It's my honor to be able to interview you and other filmmakers like yourself and discuss their unique processes. We were able to watch your film yesterday and it was such a unique expression I think what took me uh, back was not knowing what I was seated in for, if that made sense. And I was very excited to see, okay, how is this before, after? How is this the theme of the festival? I was told that you were inspired by Tarkovsky and this sort of vein of experimental uh, mediums and forms to express yourself in this kind of documentary making. I was very, I was very shocked i was very surprised i stood up straighter i was like okay i'm going to i'm going to sit and not say anything at all i'm not going to check my phone we're going to see how this <laughs> how this how this rolls out um <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful you know um, of course i study in the institute of cinema in moscow the geek I love the poetry in the cinema. I like to make poems with images, with sounds, with uh, you know this all these expressions, and to found a, um, a special time or how the filmmaker feel the time and the rhythm. Uh, all the things uh, I think they are um, more. Uh, um, inside the film and no no trying to copy something external because this is impossible um, I think this is the most uh, um, wonderful in filmmaking uh, to found your own language yes finding your own language I love the way that you put that I think one of the things that Daniel highlighted yesterday 
was how you treat cinema like listening to music. And there is a language in music, of course. There's prosody and understanding the fluctuating tones, rhythms, like you says. Um, I think what I first found most remarkable was your wide range and variety of the type of film, the medium. You're using digital, Super 8, certain films, analog film, specifically 16mm, 8mm. But I noticed in the in the credits... It seemed to me that for certain locations, you might have been using to choose one specific analog film. Um, if I'm, if I understood correctly, I think Mexico you use only um, Super Eight. I think. Yes, um, and sixteen. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, I myself, I un unfortunately don't have a lot of experience with analog. I just haven't been able to take the class here, but I hope to next semester. But I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about why you chose to associate these certain um, motivic mediums for certain locations or perhaps time of your life or your father's life. Well, I think uh, this is me in the sense uh, I am a mix between many origins, many cultures, and many countries, and this, um, the all these formats, different 16 millimeters and digital and VHS and all this is um, expression of myself. I mean, I need to use uh, different uh, possibilities, and I, I was hard to 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 find the harmony between all this. Uh, uh, different uh, styles and different uh, formats, but it was natural. I, I don't do this because a rational solution and was my heart who want this. I can see what you mean because um, there's a great program at UMass Amherst, uh, the film studies department, of course, uh, they teach a lot of theory classes and I myself I like talking, speaking to filmmakers like yourself and speaking about the process and stuff, but I find myself not free to be able to enter the production stage the way that I wanted to. So visiting the theater department, I find they have such a wide variety of things that I had no idea that I could lend myself into my film and film studies. And seeing how they, they're literally painting with light, I think it's a wonderful way that you see cinema as music. Since my time here, I sort of believe in when I composite movies and films, it's like painting. And I think there's a lot of overlap between music and painting. So I think it's such a, a glorious lost piece of art that they're not married as they once were. And there's also a sort of oral history with theater. I think today in digital films, we can load it online and watch immediately on demand. But with, with theater, and I had a conversation like this with a musicologist last semester. How do musicians, when they study a composer's um, sheet, how, how do they make it different than the way that it was originally performed by Bach, Mozart, etc. And 
it's the way that they choose to do a different stress on certain notes here, or they they bring that unique signature from themselves um, in in much the same way that we have a a we understand the alphabet of a language and we understand how to use these letters to make a sentence, but the way that we write the sentence is always unique. And I think that's such a, a beautiful, I guess, trifecta or where these things in can intersect. And this is such a, a lovely thing that I was able to pull from your piece of art, um, the epistolary aspect, the letter writing, even even down to the calligraphy and how things are written, I wanted to, I, I had to, I can't pause it. I have to watch this live in the screening, but I wanted to, I wanted to pause it and see how is this written in its own prosody. And this is the sort of thing that I wish I, I, I could talk endlessly about. <laughs> well, um, when my father died, I found uh, the letters. I sent him all all the life, no, and uh, I keep the letters also his letters. So I begin to rebuild our life with these letters, and um, of course was um, very exciting because uh, when I found I can I can found this dialogue between us and. Um, was magical and also a great discover for me and uh, was difficult the the selection because there are a lot of letters so so i really uh, synthesis i don't know how you say in english synthesis synthesize is this is one of the most difficult things in the uh, in the film because you need to learn to renounce, to say no to some things maybe you love, but you understand they can't be in the film. So this is hard to, to do it. And, and how to rebuild this life with the essential moments in our encounters and about also the loss and all this, um, uh, the process also when I was small and then I grow up and I discover another uh, world and uh, how this dialogue, the, the development of this dialogue and to understand also what I'm doing here, why, what, why I need to remember this. Hajar? Hajar? No. Hajar? No. 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 
Well, thank you so much again. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. And thank you to you. And I hope uh, we meet again. And all the best for you. And to just talk about that care between uh, father figure, daughter figure, I mean, that is a recurring theme. I mean, like we saw last night, we saw um, Ishtar's dedication to her father, Mosim. One of the most interesting things that pulled me in first from the get-go was the exploration of theater and theater informing her life and her experience and how she curates her uh, cinema, her films. And she's exploring so many different mediums of film, Super 8, 16 millimeter, digital. Um, and then we're looking at this epistolary exploration of documentary filmmaking, navigating her father's life from early 2000s with these recordings. And then we're seated in the theater with these two. And I almost feel like, should I be in this moment? She's sharing this open, vulnerable piece of cinema. And I'm, I'm here in the audience, watching them in the audience, watching everything else. And it's such, it's such a wonderful cyclical balance of life. So when we see on the sea on the day when magic returns that fight, and then we look at bad acts and that struggle between assimilation, keeping your head down and minding your own versus you know speaking up for what's right. And then we have this film, an Iraqi father and a, a blended family, um, moving around as a refugee and Ishtar is going through this and it, it was certainly like you said in your um, introductory speech a love story between her and her father through these letters just in a completely different way that we've seen I mean not to backtrack again but we have uh, letters animation verite documentary filmmaking it's just such a the wide range that filmmakers can come up with to describe like relationship, these relationships with their fathers. What I'm trying to say, it's like, it's such a beautiful range of story making and storytelling. I'm a father, I have two daughters. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that goes into it, but you know, adoption is very much about mothers and daughters. Right, right. Till is a mother and a son. Um, the last film is, in the, in the festival is a, hor a horror movie. Oh, oh. Um, <laughs> it's not Jewish superstition. You can't leave a book open or like a demon might read it and learn from it and use the knowledge for evil. Have you ever heard of the Kabbalah? Yeah, sure, like the, the Madonna thing, right? <laughs> it's in the horror genre and it's really interesting because it's rooted in traditional Jewish folklore, Kabbalah, and it's a mother daughter and also a to women lovers story you know there there's there's a kind of you know mothers and daughters theme as well right i think that the, the next generation is is the after right the, the i was just generation. going to say like i was thinking like in this before or after theme i mean what better way to see that literal visual heritage 
if not through the intergenerational connection tethered between adoptive figures or parents and their child and how that line is going through. What is a film you are most excited to watch? All of them should be available on like Canopy or Netflix like we said, but what personally was a film that you were most excited to watch or even watch the audience watch? Bad Axe leaps to mind as the one that for me, because it is the er film for this theme in this festival this year. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to choose because, you know, it's, it's like, which of your children do you love the most? Um, <laughs> um, also another prevalent theme between parents and, and children. You can't say who's your favorite. <laughs> right, right. And the reality is that being able to talk to people after the screening of adoption, for example, and just how eye-opening it was for them to see just the mastery of, of that filmmaking and the storytelling, beautiful, lush, black and white. So I'm looking forward to Till very much. That'll be coming up on May 3rd, and it's going to be in a different place. Um, we need a larger venue. It's going to be in the Integrative Learning Center, the ILC building, room N151, which has a larger capacity. So Till is really Till will be really important, and I'm really looking forward to it because we'll also have Keith Beauchamp who is the writer and the producer of the film and the person really who goes to speak to the, the content of this film, which is about um, the brutal racist murder of Emmett Till and, the, and the, the courage of his mother to show the world. Major challenge, I think, to watch certain scenes in this film and it's necessary to watch it. This was my boy, Emmett Till. Everything about this movie was, was rooted in love. Chinoya, our director, all of our producers, they, we just made sure we were taking good care of each other. In 1955, Mamie Till wanted the film to be made. You know, had to deal with contention and, and folks turning away from doing it. But then Barbara uh, Broccoli, Whoopi, all of them, and, and, and Keith Beauchamp were committed to getting the film made and finally, we filmed it in 2021, and here it came in 22, and we're still riding. How can we participate and engage with this festival? Again, it's free and open to the public, so anybody can come and participate. Ask questions of the filmmakers. You can add your name to the mailing list if you go to the website. The last two events are a little will be a little bit anomalous. Okay. Till begins to have an hour early because it's a long movie. Um, we want time for the conversation with Keith Beauchamp. Um, and attachment is going to be on a Thursday rather than a Wednesday. So just to reiterate to you listeners at home, that's blogs.umass.edu forward slash MMFF for the program. Thanks so much for listening to You Masterclass. I'm your host, Rihanna Jackson, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.